APAC turned on. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask that today you would quiet our hearts. Father, that by your grace you would turn our eyes upon your word today to transform and change us more into the image of your Son. Lord, as we look to a new year, there are likely difficulties that we can look back at in 2022, heartaches and pains that we have walked through. And Lord, we can look with anticipation and perhaps anxiety at what 2023 may bring. But Father, by your Spirit, remind us of those ways in which you have remained ever faithful and true to your word. Remind us, Father, that the the difficulties and the afflictions that we've walked through in this past year are your tool to mold us more into the image of your Son. And Father, may we look forward to 2023 not with anxiety, but with anticipation of the great things you are going to do by your grace. And Father, may we be renewed anew by your Spirit today to focus on living and loving you as we ought. Father, work in our midst by your Spirit. We pray this in Christ's precious name, pleading his blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This morning, I'd like us to consider how we are called in this passage to live a life of love for God. Living a life of love for God. Now, of course, this is New Year's Day, and this is a time that tends to remind us of the concept or the idea of New Year's resolutions. Um, and oftentimes what we find is that we'll make a resolution, whether it be, you know, I'm, I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to be more disciplined in a certain area of our life. And these resolutions will carry us through maybe January 3rd, <laughs> and then we find ourselves falling back on these things that we've resolved to do. See, the reality is for anything, for any change to happen within our lives, for something like that to stick, we have to want, we have to desire the thing that we are resolving to do, and we have to desire it more than the other things that tend to be roadblocks for them. So, for instance, like if we want to lose more weight, we have to desire or want losing weight more than ham, and that is a very hard thing for me. Resolutions fail because we ultimately don't desire them above the other things in life. So this is an illustration of a biblical principle that we all know that our hearts determine our actions. We can resolve and want to act a certain way, but if our heart isn't in it, we won't have the results we're looking for. Now, one of the things that often happens this time of year is we'll come into a new year, we'll want to be a new person, we want to have a new you, if you will. And a lot of times that often focuses on how we want to refocus on our walk with the Lord. 
We, we say that we're going to make it a priority. We say that we're going to make it important in our lives. And so we resolve to do certain things. And one of those things is resolving particularly in Scripture reading. And I think this is a good thing. I mean, anything that brings us to more interaction with God's Word is a good thing. So we have tools and, and resources to help you with that. But as we go through the year, it's very easy for us to look back. And, and, you know, in January, we maybe miss a few days here and there as we're trying to read through the Scriptures. And so we say, well, I have time to, to, to catch up. And then February comes and we miss maybe a week. And like, well, I still have time to catch up. And then by the time December 25th rolls around, we're like, wow, I'm way behind. Why don't we follow through, particularly in the consumption of God's Word like we ought to? Now, there's a reality that Moses is going to show us here, that he's speaking to the children of Israel as they're waiting at the Jordan. And in many ways, it is somewhat like a New Year's situation. A new thing is happening. They're going to cross over the Jordan, go into the Promised Land. And before they do that, Moses reminds them of the law. That is what Deuteronomy means. It is a second giving of the law. So what does Moses focus us on, particularly the children of Israel, but us today, as we are going to cross over into a new year? What does he point out about our lives? And one of the things he shows us is that we cannot love God, we cannot love God while simultaneously neglecting His Word. You cannot love God without or by, and then also turn away from his word. And so what Moses is going to call Israel to and what he's calling us to today is that we love God by loving his word. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll begin our reading in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 9 and we're going to be mainly focusing on verses 4 through 9 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful. To do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just a quick aside listen, our relationship with God is not something that we can haphazardly fall into. Notice what he tells Israel they have to be careful. They have to take care in their lives to take God's word, to consume it, and to integrate it into everyday life. And so, in verse 4, we see this great command. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So how do we live a life of love for God? Well, it begins by obeying what we know as the greatest commandment. We must love God completely. We must love God completely. We see this in verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is a very familiar passage. It's one that is repeated in the New Testament twice in the, in the, in the life of Christ in two different Gospels. It is the very basis of what the law is. It is the greatest commandment. Well, what is this great commandment? And it begins by, first of all, recognizing that we must love the God who exists, not a God of our imagination. Notice how Moses begins this section. He says, Hear, O Israel. He calls them to attention, to pay attention, to as carefully as they are to integrate God's word, so they are to carefully listen to what Moses is about to say. And so for us here today, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, the message is, listen up, behold, look, pay attention. What is it that we're to pay attention to? Well, who is our God? And that's why he comes in and says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Three things in particular that Moses emphasizes about the God who exists. He is, first of all, Yahweh, the Lord. You're familiar with it in the Old Testament when you see that term Lord in all capitals. It is referring to the name of God, Yahweh. There are two things in particular that this name conveys. First of all, it shows us that God is self-existent. He is the great I Am. He needs nothing. You realize God is completely independent of this world. He is completely independent of any needs. He cannot be acted upon or moved. He needs nothing. He is. And so, lest we get trapped in a self-centered theology that looks to us as the greatest end-all, be-all of all things, that God exists for some reason for our existence, we must throw that completely out of our minds because God is and needs not us. He needs nothing. But also, this name Yahweh, the God who needs nothing... It is also a name that refers to a promise-keeping God, a covenant-keeping God. The name Yahweh is the name that Moses was given to take to the people of Israel to say, this is who have sent me. Yahweh was the one who made promises to Adam and Eve, who made promises to Abraham and to his offspring. And so when we hear this name Yahweh, it is a God who doesn't need anything, yet by His grace and mercy makes promises in His Word to His people. I mean, this should transform the way we look at the Word of God. Did God need to give us His Word? Was it encumbered upon Him for us to have His Word? No, it is a great gift. 
from our gracious God. God needs nothing, yet He makes promises for His people. He is also Yahweh Elohim, the Lord your God, or our God, that's put there in verse 4. This is a term that's used to refer to God's supreme power and rule as sovereign. If you turn back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God, and it is the Hebrew word Elohim, made what? The heavens and the earth, everything that exists. He is the one who formed the world and created it according to His purposes. He is the one who possesses heaven and earth. He is the one who established the laws by which everything that exists is governed. He is the God who has ultimate power. So not only does God not need anything, yet He is a covenant-keeping God. He is a God who has all power, unlimited, perpetual power. And this God who needs nothing, who makes covenant promises, who has all power, He is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This speaks to two realities. The first is that the God who exists does not exist as many in the sense that there are many gods. How many gods are there? There is one God. And while he is expressed, even in the Old Testament, in multiple persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is not that there are three separate gods. There are three persons in one God. This is what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. But since God is one, since he is the Elohim, the one who has created all things, since he is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, who needs nothing of Israel, then the fact that God is one shows us that no other God exists. There is no other God to bow down to or to pay homage to. There is no other God that should take our attentions. They don't exist. Now, if we look at the history of Israel, how do they do with this principle? Terrible. They're constantly looking to take other gods to themselves and worship them, gods that don't exist, things that are made of of wood and stone. And so in the very names that Moses chooses to speak to who God is, he puts a pattern, he puts a portrait of who God is from, a, from his character and nature. This means then that for us, if we worship anything else but the God who is, we are worshiping a phantom. We're worshiping that which does not exist. We have gone through here, I think, two times, uh, once with our men's Bible study, and then once we did it on a Sunday evening, we went through a study called Behold Our God, Rethinking God Biblically. In, in my opinion, it is the best Bible study that's out there. And the reason why is 
It takes us and points to the places in our hearts where we have made God to be like we are. And we will maybe pray to and name him as God, but in reality, he is an invention of our own imaginations. See, this is going to become all the more important to understanding why Moses emphasizes God's word, because you cannot know God apart from his word. And if we seek to conceive of God in our own imaginations, then we are violating the very first of commandments and the very basis of everything else that Moses builds the law upon. That this is the God who exists. It also means that we cannot and we must not capitulate to the modern movement that says there are many ways to this one God. Or that there are many gods and that it doesn't matter which way you follow. This is why Jesus says he is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father, the only Father, the only God who exists, but by who? Him. Him alone. And so we must love the God who exists. Let me ask you, is your conception of God built upon what the Bible says about Him or is it built upon your conception of Him? Does God resemble you or does He resemble how He is revealed in His Word? That is the real challenge of our hearts because John Calvin said our hearts are idle factories. We are easily able to make God in our image And when we do that, we fall into the lie that the devil and that Adam and Eve fell into, that we ourselves could supplant the God who exists. And that brings nothing but judgment and wrath. God does not share his glory with anyone. So as we enter into 2023, we must ask ourselves, do we know the God who exists? And if we do know the God who exists, then how does that affect us? And we see three things in particular. We are to, first of all, desire God supremely, give ourselves totally, and then finally, we are to exert ourselves diligently. Desire God supremely, give yourself totally, and exert yourself diligently. So let me talk, first of all, about what it means to desire God Supremely. Look at what he says. Verse 5. You shall love. Now that word love is referring to our desires. The things that we want. What do you want? And Moses is saying you must want Yahweh, your Elohim. You must want Him with all your what? The first commandment is we must desire God supremely. See, when we understand who God is, is there anyone else that exists that is worthy of that desire? No. God is the only one who can fill the emptiness and the voids in our life. God is the only one who can set set us straight in the way that we ought to walk. God is the only one who provides satisfaction. And so the first thing that Moses tells to Israel as they are about to enter into the promised land is desire God supremely. Love Him with all your 
heart. And this brings us back to what we started with. We act according to our desires. What you want, you will seek to get. And so as, as Moses is standing and speaking to Israel and saying, look, you're going into this promised land, and, and if you want it to go well with you, if you want to, to prosper and have long days, you have to begin with wanting God more than the long days and more than the prosperity. You see how that switches our emphases and our priorities? You know, we live in a, a society that is very, very relaxed that has lots of opportunity for leisure. And oftentimes, when anything interrupts that particular aspect of our life, that, then we go crazy and we lose it because that's the thing we love the most. But if we love God more than anything else in this world, then we can count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Him. Because the thing we want the most, we have in our God. If we're to enter into a new year, if you want to enter into a new year and you want to establish and and make your priority spending time with God and with His people and absorbing His Word, it begins with what do you want the most? What do you want the most? What is the greatest desire of your heart? As we enter a new year, we ought to be reflecting on this past year. What did you want the most this past year? What did you live for and seek to gain in this past year? Is it loving God with all your heart or is it other things? See, we we spend our lives running after other things in this life, and then we wonder why we don't seem to feel connected with God. It's because we don't love Him like we ought. So we're called to desire God supremely. And if we desire God supremely, then we will give ourselves totally. Notice what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then secondly, with all your soul. It's not only our desires that are to be taken up with a focus on the Lord, but it is the very core of who we are. The term that's used here for our soul refers to the very essence of who we are as a human being. In Genesis chapter 2, God formed the man of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living what? Soul. It is the very definition of what it means to be human. Before God breathed into us and we became a living soul, all we were were a lump of clay. Dust pushed together into a form. But it is when God breathed into us that we became what we are. And so Moses is telling us, look, if you're going to love God, if you're going to love Him with all your heart, if you're going to keep His commandments, the very essence of who you are must be based upon Him. It is you live for the glory of Him. This is how Scripture answers one of the most basic questions of life. What are we here for? And the answer is you are here fundamentally not for yourself. You are here to glorify the God who exists. 
And so we're called very clearly to fundamentally love God, to relate with him, to have our souls, the very essence of who we are, be all about him. Is that you? Is God your all-consuming passion? Is your soul, your very makeup, oriented towards him? I mean, everything else about you doesn't matter. Is he your supreme goal? We desire God supremely. We give ourselves totally. And then, thirdly, we exert ourselves diligently. Notice what he says. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our desires, with all our soul, the very essence of who we are, and with all our what? Might. With all our might. It's interesting, the underlying word here refers to our muchness. We are to love God with our muchness. In other words, with our exertions, with what we do. We are going to work hard at loving God. This requires two things. It requires, first of all, strength in effort. You know, if you love something, you're willing to do everything necessary for the sake of gaining that thing that you desire. And so you're going to exert yourselves. What do you work the hardest at? In this past year, what are the things that you have exerted yourself most regarding? Has it been growing in your relationship with God or has it been in your career? Has it been in your family or in friends or in financial goals? I mean, what is it that you live for? It's evident in the way that you exert yourself. The reality here is that Moses is not calling us to simply replace our exertion in one area of life. So I say, well, instead of of working so hard at this thing, I'm going to work more at knowing God. He's telling us to replace all exertion with exerting ourselves for the sake of the Lord. Everything about you should be seeking to know Him. And if the strength and effort is involved, it also requires strength and focus. What do you focus on? What grabs your attention and keeps it? Is it God or is it other things? What do you meditate upon? What fills your thoughts when you lie down to sleep, when you rise up in the morning? Where do you exert your mental energy? So this call, love the Lord your God with all your heart. He's to be your foremost desire. With all your soul, your, your very essence is to be focused upon Him and with all your might so that you exert yourself completely and totally in knowing Him. If you read those things, if we are honest with ourselves, every single one of us should be ashamed. Because nobody does it. There's not one person in this room who does this. And Jesus tells us that on this commandment, all the law and the prophets, what? Hang. That everything God reveals about Himself hangs on this truth. This should terrify us when we read this passage. Because this call, in reality, is beyond us. 
God is asking us to do something we cannot do. Why would He place such a high demand upon His people? Look, if we have the Spirit of God working within us and we read this passage, it should never well up within us to make us feel prideful. It should break us to show us how far we fall from the mark. It breaks down the idol of our self-centeredness and our self-righteousness, and it does to show us that we need a Savior. We need someone who can keep these laws. There's an interaction that Jesus has with a lawyer. A lawyer stood up, Luke chapter 10, and this isn't a lawyer, like we think of lawyers, like this isn't like the guy who's, you know, one I, I love the one 1-800-GET-PHIL, because my name's Phil, I like that one, the lawyer wants to see that, Phil, I think Phil De La Sente or whatever. Um, that's not that type of lawyer. This is someone who was versed in the law. It says in Luke chapter 10, a lawyer stood up to tilt him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How have you read it? And he gives the right answer. He quotes this passage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got the test right. You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Boy, that's great, right? Do this, and you will live. That's Jesus' word to us. Now, why is that not a word of hope? Because we don't do this. And notice what the lawyer does. But he, desiring to what? Justify himself. Said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? The fact that this man desired to justify himself shows that he knew, he knew intuitively he could not keep this commandment. And so it is for us. We know, when we hear these words, we know intuitively we cannot do it. But praise God, Christ has. There is a great hope that while the law is given to teach us our need of Christ, it points us to Him so that we can by faith receive Him. The law stands showing us that only Christ has perfectly kept this law. And so we seek to be united to Him by faith so that we now, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, if we are in Christ, we are what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And how does he do this? As he says later on in this passage, for our sake, he made Christ, the one who perfectly kept this law, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we could be what? Righteous in him. 
It is only through turning to Christ that we are given a new heart, that we become a new creation and have new desires and seek to do new things and to seek to exert ourselves for the sake of what Moses is saying here. Listen, you cannot come to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and read these verses and think, I can do this. You must come to this and see Christ has done it on my behalf and in Him I am now new and will seek to do these things. So often we have come to passages like this and read them and thought, boy, I just need to try harder. Boy, I just need to work harder. And the answer, the hope of the gospel is, you can't do it, but Christ has done it. So trust in Him. We cannot forget this as we enter into 2023. The gospel must be the basis of everything that we do as a believer. Now what does this look like? in the life of a believer who is a new creation. Well, we look to Paul. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Paul, who has been saved by the grace of God, confronted on that road to Damascus, blinded by the light of the gospel, and made new by God's grace, and given the Spirit, made an apostle, Here is a great example of someone who was killing Christians who now is living for Christ. What does that look like? Well, first of all, he recognizes that everything else is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Listen, he loves and values God and his relationship with him in Christ more than anything else. In fact, he considers suffering the loss of all things, particularly his self-righteousness, and he counts them as dung in order that he may gain Christ and be found, what? In him. Not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, so that he may know him, the power of his resurrection, share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible he may attain the resurrection from the dead. For Paul, everything that he's called to do in this passage is bound up in becoming more like Christ. So what does he do? Look, Paul recognized that he hadn't attained it. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. I haven't attained it. I'm not perfect. But notice what he does. He, what? Presses on. He exerts himself. He gives all that he is to make this his own because Christ Jesus has made him his own. And he says, I haven't made it my own yet, but this is what I do. I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies before. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Twice, Paul says, he presses on. He presses on. Not from a sense of depending on his actions, but on being transformed by the grace of God to attain Jesus Christ his Lord. If we want to know how Deuteronomy chapter 6 applies to us today, we need only look to what Paul is saying in this passage. This is the heart of a man who has been transformed by the gospel and is seeking to love God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. Now, there's more to say. 
but I don't have time. I will say this, that if we're loving God passionately, if we're, if we're loving God with all that we are completely, then notice what Moses then turns to. Verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be where? On your heart. If we're going to love God completely, that means that we must love His Word passionately. And this is where we'll pick up next week as we consider what it means, what it looks like,